What does happy actually mean for me? With this process of hashtag binging sober, think about a scale from a negative 10 to a zero to a positive 10. The whole goal is to balance at a zero. As long as I've practiced this, have realized that my happy place is actually a negative one. It's a lot different than I would think that I would, I know it's hard to say, like I would think that I would think that happy is, but that's where I feel my best. It's calm, it's unhurried, it's a very joyful place, it's peaceful, there's a lot of harmony, and it's actually attainable because it's driven by our mindset and how we're using our minds and how we're perceiving the world and how we're doing the work to heal ourselves. Lori, they're comparing scrolling social media to blackout drinking at this point. Research is comparing it to, to that, to drinking heavily, because you just lose time, you lose focus. It's super toxic, it can be super toxic for you, especially depending on what you're looking at. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders. Joining me today is Colleen Hensley, the founder of Hashtag Binging Sober. Colleen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me again, Lori. Let's start with your story and then we'll get into binging sober. Long story short and we can go more into detail, but I'll kind of give you the, the bottom line up front is I spent 11 years in the Navy. I joined back in 1999. Prior to that, I experienced a lot of depression in my teenage years. And that was in the mid 80s, you know, early 90s, before we really knew how to talk about it or how to deal with it. I saw a couple of therapists at that point, mostly psychiatrists who I really didn't feel like I connected with very well on any other level than surface. Of course, I was a teenager who also was challenged by even talking about feelings. Uh, so that was part of it. But I did turn to alcohol pretty young to avoid those feelings. I always wanted to join the Navy. I was raised on my grandfather's sea stories. So that was really a, a lifelong dream for me. And when I was 21, I Decided that I was mentally and physically ready to leave the hometown and I joined the Navy. A couple of years later, I experienced a trauma, an assault within my training command. Um, I tell you that because it's really, it was really in hindsight. I mean, at the time I didn't know I was in my early twenties. I was not very self-aware. I had been drinking a lot at the time. I blamed myself entirely for the situation. I faced the people that were involved and told them that I didn't want to hear them talking about it. And I wanted them to forget about it just like I would. And I did. I just buried it for 15 years. Fast forward, I got out of the military in 2010. I was pursuing an advanced degree in performance psychology. And so a lot of strength-based methods for peak performance. And a lot of what we talk about as mental toughness and these mental skills that protect us during times of stress. Like these are a lot of the tools that I was learning and teaching, et cetera, at that point. It took me a while. I started seeing a counselor after the military, a life coach that was also a licensed professional counselor. And I visited that woman initially for, you know, structure, post-military. I really felt like I needed some structure and some goals and, and a lot of the things that I taught, I needed the accountability for myself. 
Well, in starting to work with her, I started to peel that onion back and noticed how much healing I needed to do and how these things that I buried even in my adolescent depression, you know, things that I never dealt with or processed. Eventually, I met my now husband. When I met him, I was in this height of toughness, if you will. Like I wasn't connecting with people. I didn't realize that since that trauma, I wasn't connecting with people. I was, you know, very much to myself with a lot of walls up. I was still using these things, you know, alcohol being the primary escapism that I was leaning on, but I was still using and abusing these things that were just allowing me to keep avoiding. When I met my husband, I knew that because it felt like a like a promising relationship to me. I had sabotaged every other relationship in my life. I really knew that I needed to face those things that I had started to uncover or lose him forever. Well, when I started doing that, I felt safe eventually in the relationship. We did a lot of couples therapy ourselves. He was willing to do the work as well, which made our relationship work. He's also a Navy vet, a fighter pilot. He also had trauma. He also had walls. And so this took a lot of work for both of us. But throughout all this, I started to have nightmares and flashbacks and started to uncover this trauma that I had buried. Binging sober comes into play because it is the practice that I use to manage my mental health along with other alternative therapies and other traditional therapies for a couple of decades, but I didn't realize that I was doing it. And it came from my time in the military on board ship where I would have long periods of time away from these escapisms that I would lean on, these unhealthy, mind-numbing escapisms. It was a habit that I took with me outside of the military, not realizing, hey, this is really, truly impacting me in a very positive way. Like stepping away from these things that we all have access to, a lot of us tend to lean on them in excess and we don't really realize how they're truly impacting us. And so I decided to like pretend I was on deployment or pretend that I didn't have access to these things and notice once again that my quality of life was truly, truly improving. That's what a sober binge is. Sober meaning natural state of mind, lack of intoxication, really the dictionary sense of sober. Unhurried, calm, not using food or drink in excess, all of these things. So to hashtag binging sober, sober is taking longer periods of time away from these different unhealthy mind-numbing escapisms that we use often to avoid things that we truly need to heal from, but we don't even notice. It's really become my mission to redefine mental toughness and to really add an extra half that we're missing. It's really half-baked right now. Now it's this pretty resilient, during times of stress, which we all have, having resilience is absolutely necessary, but it's those things like my trauma that my toughness helped me bury that are oftentimes lie underneath and wreak havoc on our mental health and just continually like control us. And then we try to avoid them and end up hurting ourselves and everyone around us in the process. This feels so powerful because I often hear people say they think facing their issues is weakness. That is something that we are a product of. It is a societal perception that we've built ourselves and we can also unravel ourselves. Going back to the pain and the uncomfortable feelings is very difficult. In my experience, if we tend to ruminate on them ourselves, whether it's unconscious or conscious, 
I could argue, because there's a lot that's happening in our masterful brains and minds that we're not truly paying attention to because we're avoiding, avoiding, right? Because we've been taught to do that. Going back to those things is very difficult. And that is the tough part. That is mental toughness to me. That's the other half of it. Of course, it's absolutely necessary to be resilient during the face of stress, especially in these super, super stressful times. It's very important to be able to withstand that pressure from the environment. But then going back to it is not only the tough part, but also one of the biggest aha moments I ever had was that going back to that and dealing with that, that is where my life was my real life. It's like when we're trying to escape and avoid and not turn back to those things, that's really destructive because that is exactly where we need to go. And we've been taught to ignore or push aside or push through this whole spectrum of life, this other half. We perceive these things as negative, these bad things. I'm doing air quotes, I know. But <laughs> these bad things, these negative emotions, these negative things, well, I mean, we're not going to have the good stuff without the bad stuff, right? And so if we're ignoring the bad stuff, then you're probably not getting much of the good stuff either. And so it's really about embracing all of that. And yes, going back to it is tough. I love that perspective is in order to get, like even your website says your vibrant life is waiting for you, that there is a braveness in facing issues at looking at it. And even what you said about your husband, that he was willing to do the work. I love that because I feel like there are a lot of times where people look at that as a bigger issue than all the energy it takes to stuff a problem. Yeah. Which it takes a lot of energy to stuff the problem. What you said in the beginning too, about this thing happened and you just like, we're all going to just ignore it and move on. So many people do that. And I've even heard recently, people will go to a place of forgiveness, thinking that's the right thing to do, but they right. don't actually work through the issue. What would you say about the work you had to do? Because it isn't an overnight thing, right? Oh my gosh, no. I mean, now, of course, I'm on the other side of that mountain. I have a lot of people ask me, well, I mean, how am I supposed to relate to that if you say you're doing so well by facing it. But really, I mean, it's like what I told you, if you're ignoring all of these negative things and you're only having half of the experience that there is to offer in life. I heard this quote, Alex L. She said, self-healing is an act of community service. <gasps> Isn't that good? I yeah. I think okay. what people don't realize is when you stuff things down, it creates a certain, certain behaviors yeah. And then we react to our environment mm -hmm. in a way that is unhealthy and people don't really understand. And so we end up hurting people. Yeah. And we think we're doing this brave thing by stuffing everything. In a way, looking at it as a gift to your friends and family, if yes. you are willing to be brave oh, and do the work. I love that you said that. That's, I mean, one of my just missions is, I, mean, I did it in the military. I, I was a trained technician, but I was also a career counselor and a fitness leader and those types of things. And a couple of my amazing commands allowed me to lead wellness programs and to create my own wellness programs. And then when I got out was going after my advanced degree in performance psychology, I was researching, I was given a grant a fellowship to research and I was researching veteran wellness and community development in Hampton Roads, Virginia. 
The theory being, if we focus on our own individual wellness, then collective wellness comes with that and vice versa. And so it's exactly what you just said. With that study, that's where you've come up with this idea of, well, it's not an idea, it's actually a practice, right? Yeah. Binging yeah. sober, hashtag binging sober. And I know you have a app coming and a podcast and uh, we'll have you share a little bit about your vision for that. And when they come, we'll definitely talk to you about yeah. it. But when you look at this type of wellness, can you compare it to other programs or what's different about it? You don't have to relate to having, I'm doing air quotes again, a problem. Hashtag binging sober is a practice that's meant to bring awareness, control, and balance to these things that if we're not controlling them, they are controlling us. And what I'm talking about are these escapisms or these unhealthy mind-numbing habits. Toxic escapism example, one of the biggest is alcohol. Then there's a whole category of potentially toxic escapisms. And that's when we're talking about social media, television, even exercise falls into that because if you're overusing it to a detriment and hurting yourself or creating a lack of energy balance because of it, like that's when it falls into the toxic spectrum. But then we have all of these other natural escapes because escape is something that we naturally want to do as humans. And escape is fine. It's just a matter of what we're leaning on to do that. All of these other natural escapes like meditation and breathing and just being in nature or being with animals, or we could go on forever. The list is like practically infinite. So you don't have to relate to having a problem. It's just a matter of a desire to say, hey, wait a minute, where's all of my time going? Where's all of my energy going? A lot of my clients, a lot of the, one of the biggest things that I've heard people say the most often is time seems like it's moving faster. I hear a lot of people say that, and then they'll, they'll blame their age. They'll blame this. They'll blame this. They'll blame this. And my, what I've come to is that it's all of these distractions. Lori, they're comparing scrolling social media to blackout drinking at this point. Research is comparing it to to that, to drinking heavily, because you just lose time. You lose focus. It's super toxic. It can be super toxic for you, especially depending on what you're looking at. It's different in the approach, the accessibility. I want to make it as accessible as possible. It's going to be the app will present the point system that allows you to take these abstract concepts of, hey, I'm binge watching TV for four hours today. How does that impact me three days from now? We don't often think about things in that way. We're just in the moment we want to escape, especially if we're using avoidance. The point system will allow each participant to calculate or create a tailored idea of how the thing or things that they're leaning on being escapisms are truly impacting their energy and their wellness and then therefore their quality of life. And so each person decides what it is, right? That yes, is yes, exactly. It's very tailored using what the working title is scale of vitality right now. A lot of times we hear this caught in a downward spiral. I keep doing air quotes <laughs> I love caught it. in a downward spiral. When we read about mental health statistics or statistics in suicide, I kept hearing this caught in a downward spiral. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about this? To me, that's this idea that if say we're leaning on caffeine, I mean, it's happened to me in the past, like leaning on caffeine. So you mess up your sleep. Well, we need, we need sleep. So the next day you're moody. 
you might not be productive, that stresses you out, then, oh, maybe I'll have a glass of wine. Then you have a glass of wine to try and feel less stressed, which we all know at this point does not work. These are things become habitual. And like I said, because they're available in excess and because we're so acceptable in society, we don't often pause and think how it's truly affecting us. It's an ongoing practice. So you can plug in as often as you want or take a break. I've been doing it for 20 years. I haven't been doing it consistently every day for 20 years. And that's what makes it so beautiful. It's like a place to visit a choose your own adventure when you want to feel better or when you want to feel even better. Or when you notice that the spiral might be happening, you'll have a place to go to and say, what are those things that I can do right now that will make me feel better and start carrying me up that upward spiral and back to where I need to be? A lot of these things you're talking about, I hear in high level leadership training, it seems like you're bringing that kind of thing to the everyday person. Like we have control in our everyday life. Yes. In performance, a lot of times, a lot of these methods for peak performance are available to athletes, to extreme career positions. Like you said, high level executives, um, all of these really different lifestyles that we don't, we don't have access to that information. Yes. That is part of my mission to bring it to people that it would otherwise not, not reach. I mean, Lori, the cost of traditional mental health for a lot of people, our healthcare doesn't cover it. We can't afford it. The system doesn't support it. I read last week, Mental Health America came out with some new statistics on the mental health need versus the system. The stat was that there was for every one licensed professional, there were 350 people that need that person. In my healing journey, I've learned how much we can do on our own. Now, I 100% am a mental health advocate. To search for someone and to have that support is a very special thing that not everyone has access to. And that is part of the challenge right now for us as a society. A large part of this is owning, first of all, owning our own healing, owning our own, and then saying, okay, what can I do to start? And this is one of those things that I really feel fills that, fills that what can I do right now to feel better or to start feeling better. I love that taking responsibility because I think about a lot of people will go on antidepressants and I am for antidepressants. They, I know that they help, but also you want to do the work too. If you don't yes. do the work, it's just a pill. And even I work with people in recovery and I'll have friends say, well, I'm addicted to sugar. It's just as bad. It is because it will keep you in a chair versus exercising. Yeah. It will change your behavior, but not in a way that drugs will often make you do things that are really crazy, but still all of those things that we use to cope yeah. that are keeping us from taking that radical responsibility. Yes. Radical responsibility. I love that. I'm a big advocate of daily connection. If you have a practice, a spiritual practice, whatever, but daily doing something. And I'm always so surprised that people kind of look at me like I'm a weirdo. Because it's woo-woo to connect with yourself. They yeah. don't, don't get that it's our responsibility. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about is self-connection that leads to self-regulation. We all know that a day can slip by and it feels like nothing. And that is because of what we're doing with our brains during that day. And just like you said, that moment of connection can change that. And that moment of awareness, and then a moment of intentional responsibility to make something different and better. 
I just heard a quote the other day, 80% of what we do every day is not intentional. It's like mm -hmm. we brush our teeth, all those autopilot. things. Yeah, autopilot. Okay. And so taking that time to really reflect and go, oh, what can I be intentional about? It seems like that's where we kind of can derail those habits that are creating us to continually do the bad things. Even like when I see people get off drugs and alcohol, which is amazing, but then they get on these monster drinks or these yep. sugary drinks that aren't healthy. No, no. Hashtag binging sober. I mean, that's what happened to me. So once I started to pay attention to my alcohol and figure that out, I noticed all of these other things underneath of it. There's always other things underneath of it. Starting to replace those apart from addiction, I really am a, an advocate for not being so absolute about things. I think that a lot of times that leads to derailment of long-term habit change and long-term positive change. If we're like, okay, well now I'm going to be in the gym seven days a week. It's not realistic. I'm not saying don't ever turn on your TV. All that I'm saying is be purposeful and intentional and consciously escape versus unconsciously escaping where it's just this habit that's not great for us. There's so many other different ways to alter our state of mind that are healthy and good for us and actually give us the state of mind that we're looking for. Whereas all of these other things we tend to lean on typically don't if we're overusing them, especially. Isn't that interesting? Like we're looking for something, but we're escaping through something else that maybe fakes but only temporary, right? Because we don't feel good after right. even simply as say sugar, you yeah. eat way too much sugar because you're bummed out. You don't feel good the next day. Yeah. Whereas if you're aware of it and you go, I'm going to have 10 jelly beans and then I'm going to intentionally get up and walk around the block. Yeah. It's like, that is you getting to take control of your life yes. versus life taking control of you. Yes. And it feels different because when you think about that, when you're very conscious about it and intentional and purposeful, that self-judgment that also leads into, see with these escapisms, it's the amount, the frequency and the judgment that we judge ourselves, make ourselves feel even worse. So when you're intentional about it, when you're aware of how these things impact you, what you can do instead, when you decide to still use that thing in a particular way, like you were just mentioning the jelly beans, and you do that successfully, that judgment goes away afterwards. And that's a huge part of that emotional hangover is the judgment. Where does self-talk fit into all of this? I love that you said that because when you were talking about not being intentional, about 80% of our day is typical. When mm -hmm. it comes to our self-talk, we have upwards research suggests around 400 words per minute. That's our self-talk. That's like mind blowing, right? Well, about 95% of that is just repeated patterns of talk day in and day out. So imagine how much those seeds that were planted 25, 30 years ago, whenever they were planted, if they're still in there being nurtured in one way or another, whether you're conscious of it or not, that stuff is still repeating and just hammering you, like hammering you from the inside out. So self-talk is really important, but all of the change for all of that is going to come from being aware and just connecting with yourself in a way that we have not, that it's just not part of our day anymore. I have a lot of people that I talk to that talk about their teenagers. Well, you know, my teenager has this really bad habit. It's they're always on their phone and they're always blah, 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 blah. And I say, okay, what are your habits around your phone? 
Well, when I was young, we used to play outside all day. Here all the time, we used to play outside until dark and until our mom called us back in. Well, when's the last time you did that? Like, are you modeling that behavior for your teenager? Are you going outside and playing until dark? Maybe they would like that. You know, why don't you try that? Why don't you take them outside? It's just important to interrupt these things that have just become so the hamster wheel. It's interrupting, becoming aware and taking responsibility. There's one big thing since I started sharing hashtag binging sober, because it's a practice that I've used myself, it's been very interesting to start sharing it with people. And one of the biggest things or the foundations to all of this is just being super aware that all of the things that we're being fed, that we're consuming, with that comes all of these perceptions that may not be our own. A lot of times, and I'm guilty of this and have to check myself a lot, we are living this idea of happy or healthy or wealthy or successful that is built by Hollywood and marketing. And, and a lot of us can't attain that. So imagine how that impacts our mental health. The biggest way to interrupt that, which is at the source of a lot of this, is comparison to this idea of what you think you should be or what you think you should be doing. Just checking in and say, wait a minute, what does happy mean to me? A lot of people talk about happy and I actually stay away from that word a lot because of this. We have this idea that happy is a positive 10. Happy is a, you're jumping off the walls and you have a smile across your face all the time. That isn't attainable a lot of times. So that leads to a lot of depression because if you're not reaching that, it can be really self-defeating. If you check in with yourself and really define what that means. What does happy actually mean for me? With this process of hashtag binging sober, think about a scale from a negative 10 to a zero to a positive 10. The whole goal is to balance at a zero. As long as I've practiced this, have realized that my happy place is actually a negative one. It's a lot different than I would think that I would, I know it's hard to say, like I would think that I would think that happy is, but that's where I feel my best. It's calm. It's unhurried. It's a very joyful place. It's peaceful. There's a lot of harmony and it's actually attainable because it's driven by our mindset and how we're using our minds and how we're perceiving the world and how we're doing the work to heal ourselves. That was beautiful. I love this. Well, Colleen, thank you so much. We're out of time. How can we find you? You can find me at Colleen Ryan Hensley on Instagram and at bingingsober.com. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Lori. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.